Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, the comedy podcast for creators of any variety and the only podcast to denounce terrorism. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening. Have a fun episode today. Previous episodes are fun, too. You can check them out on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can also go to thereitispod.com to read up on those. Today's fun episode is with an old college friend of mine, and uh, we are the same year, actually, and uh, he's a great guy, super funny, he's done a lot of different things, and he is a screenwriter out in Los Angeles right now, he and his writing partner have been working on a lot of different projects, and he talks about that, some fun, exciting ones in there, and also uh, some things that he, he's put out, he, he talks at length about that, and he also talks about getting different gigs, and how to get that, and how to pitch things. And he also talks about his history in Los Angeles, working at CAA, and uh, being an assistant to a celebrity. It's all here in this really great chat, so let's get right to it. Here's my chat with my old pal, Paul Vicnair. Paul, it really is good to hear your voice again after all these years, because one of my distinct memories is someday we both bumped into each other in front of the uh, residence hall we were living in in college, and we just ended up what would have been a two-minute, hey, how's it going, turned into like a one-hour discussion or something. That's like one of the main memories that pops out of my mind. But I haven't seen you since around that time. (laughs) So we've been in touch, but we just haven't really seen each other to catch up. I try to leave people with good memories and then just disappear. (laughs) (laughs) They don't yeah. have, no negative. <laughs> so for the listeners, uh, you and I both went to Winthrop University in South Carolina together. And after college, you went to Wilmington uh, because while you're in college, well, were you, I can't remember exactly what your major was in college. Wasn't it music? Yeah, I was a music and philosophy double major. And the, the most important thing I learned about music was that I would not be a professional musician. So I have to figure something else out. Uh, I see. So when you graduated, a few of our friends were also going to Wilmington for acting. Yes. So when you went out there, was your idea, well, I'll try to get acting work, or were you already thinking writing? Because you had written a couple of plays while we were in school together. Um, I, I didn't have a very clear uh, idea of what I was doing, to be honest. Um. <laughs> We, um, yeah, I think I sort of was caught between a few different ideas because, you know, I, we were both friends with the guys that became Emery, um, you know, and there was a part of me that was like, you know, oh, should I like, you know, and I, I played in some bands with some of the guys and stuff. It's like, you know, should I, I was never officially invited to go to Seattle, but there was always the idea of like, oh, I have some musician friends that are interested in that and some acting friends are interested in this. And, um. I think it was just easier to stay closer to home mm-hmm. uh, than to make some kind of big move to like New York or Los Angeles or Seattle or anything like that. So I, um, um, yeah, I think I was like, oh, I have some, some really good friends that are going out uh, to do acting. And I had a slight interest in acting, but not actually acting. Mm-hmm. Like I had, um, I had tried it a few times. I really wasn't that good and <laughs> it kind of terrified me. So. Um, I wasn't totally sure what I was going to do, but I thought I'd always loved movies. So I was like, oh, let me just see what this is about. And I actually got into doing crew work when I was in Wilmington. So that actually kind of put me on that path where I was did some grip work and some electric work and some assistant camera work and some PA work um, on like Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill and um, and then a bunch of independent films. And then eventually got tired of ind- the non-union $50 a day hauling sandbags. Right. It was like, if, if I want to make real movies, I should move to, you know, either LA or New York. And 
So then a few of my friends have the same idea and we all decided to move out to Los Angeles. So Yeah. Okay. So when did writing become such a big part of the equation for you? Because as I mentioned, like I know you wrote when you were in college because of another buddy of ours and you had written together a couple of times at least. But um, when did the writing prof- as a profession come into play? Well, I mean, um, I, I started writing in Wilmington, but uh, in terms of screenplays, actually, I think I wrote one of the world's worst screenplays in college because uh, <laughs> that was the first year that Project Greenlight happened. Oh, I, right. I don't still have that script, but my friend Ronnie and I both decided that we were going to each enter and the deadline was literally like 10 days away. So <laughs> we each wrote <laughs> page scripts in a week and we did not make it to the second round. So, um I totally remember that. Yeah. Uh, now that you mention it, like I, t- I had forgotten about that. That <laughs> I remember you two talking about how you were submitting yeah. for that. Well, that was the wrong way to go about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Start from scratch without a single idea or any idea of how to write it. <laughs> right. And just doing it. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I, I tried some writing in, in Wilmington. I, I'd always liked writing, but never really thought of it as, it never really occurred to me that you could do that as a job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what working on set sort of opened up for me was that it's just people that make movies. Like, and I just never really thought about it. I'd always loved movies. Yeah. And so I started trying to write in Wilmington, but not seriously. And, and I had a few friends that were writing as well. Um, and we each were doing our own thing. And one of them, um, well, actually I moved out with, with a group of people, but one of those people ended up becoming my current writing partner um, a few years later, uh, we moved to Los Angeles and did the traditional Los Angeles route. If you're not going to be an actor, mm-hmm. if you're an actor, it's like wait tables and stuff. But if you're, if you're not, you, uh, you started an agency like, so we started at, um, CAA, which is the, the biggest agency, I guess. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And so I got to be an assistant for like this really top agent. He was representing all these like amazing stars like Natalie Portman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ewan McGregor, Penelope Cruz. And it was like cool to be on phone calls with like Renee Zellweger and, you mm-hmm. know, dealing with like all these like just really important people. So I sort of learned the business that way, but learned really quickly. I did not want to be an agent. <laughs> and then I worked for the president of Spyglass Entertainment, which then sort of took those guys took over MGM later. Um, and sort of learned about developing screenplays a little bit more and thought, okay, this is interesting, but oh, also okay. want to work at a desk. And around that time, my friend Chris and I started, we, we each were like, Let, we want to get back into writing. And we just, we started just brainstorming ideas together and realized, Hey, this is going to make it twice as easy because you have yeah. else to work with and bounce ideas off of. And <laughs> yeah, it's not writing your own yeah. hundred page scripts <laughs> in, in a week. What made it, what made you realize you didn't want to be an agent? Um, I think agents have the worst job in Hollywood because they don't really have a lot of creative say. I mean, some of them do. Right. Like, I think the job is basically to take a bunch of di- different people who all have the largest ego in the room mm-hmm. and hate each other and force them to work together. So you, it's a lot of like oh, manipulating wow. people where it's like, you know, an actor going, I don't want to work with that asshole or you know, I, you know, I, I want to get paid more money or whatever it is. I mean, they're not, they're not all jerks. I'm not saying that, but like, right, right. but they have their own ideas and then you got to, you got to massage those egos and then you turn around to the directors and you got to massage those egos and you turn around to the studio and you got to massage those egos. And a lot of the agents have egos too, but the job is to basically hurt a bunch of people who all think that they are bringing very important pieces to the project and get them all on the same page. And that's a, that's a, an awful way to make a living. I think <laughs> the people that love it, love it. Like the people that are real people, you know, like kind of people persons, like they really thrive in that environment, but it was not for me. Yeah. I understand that. I do remember something Ronnie said at the time, or maybe it was you, but I think it was Ronnie was saying, uh, cause you all were working, you had just started working at the, at the agency. And he said, the worst way to try to get an agent is to send your headshot to the agency because yeah. it's our job to throw those away. <laughs> yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie and I both started in the mailroom at the same agency and, and yeah, we spent a lot of time 
just throwing things out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a process you should go through, and it's not just cold calling with your headshot with your face on a. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably worked for people occasionally, but it's at this point, it's it's very hard to do. Right, right. So. Uh, you realize that writing is something you can do, and you've learned from your experiences how to sort of develop something. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what you learned uh, about how to develop something? Um, well, I mean, I, I think I, I think the, the the best thing I can say about that is like there's no past tense in it. I think mm-hmm. a lot of what writing is is just learning. Um, not just learning like the craft of writing, but learning, um, you know, each project I think is an exploration of something. Um, hopefully something that you don't already know. Um, it's funny. I was talking to my writing partner about this earlier and, um, it was something that an idea we'd had a long time ago, but it's that, you know, people say like, write what you know. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that's the wrong way to go about it. I feel like you do your best work when you write what you want to know. Oh, Um, that's a really good thing to say. Because you get, you need to be really engaged in a project and you need to really love it. So you're going to spend many hours, days, weeks, months working on the same thing. And you're going to be writing it, rewriting it. And so it really needs to be something you want to spend a lot of time with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, most of us haven't lived the types of lives that are worthy of Hollywood movies. (laughs) So you're not going to be writing about your own personal experiences. And and you can draw from characters and things in your own life. But I think a lot of developing stories is saying, hey, what I just... What do I want to research? What do I want to spend time reading about? What do I want to spend time about thinking about? And um, when you find those ideas, those are going to be the ones that you're passionate about. But also, like, you're going to be wanting to spend your time doing that anyway because right. it's, it's something that you're fascinated by. So I think building a story that way, like, you can kind of keep your momentum going um, as opposed to when you're working on something that you just don't really have that passion for because that's when you start to really just hit writer's block and just – you know, get stuck and not care. So well, that's really good advice because that's essentially when Lin Manuel wrote Hamilton. He read a book about Alexander Hamilton. He was looking for something new to write about, and he saw this big book and he was like, "Oh, I'll be able to read that while I'm on vacation." And then he just was inspired. So it yeah. was this thing that was it was this spark that made him want to know more and then start making all these connections about yeah. um, between rap and then the life that. Alexander Hamilton was living. So your advice fits with one of the great modern genius pieces of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they say great minds think alike, but even if it's not your idea, if it's, if it's his idea, you know what? Might as well steal that idea because it's a good idea. So, well, he didn't quite go as far as you, you went. Still, you can still think like someone even if you're taking their ideas. <laughs> Just line yourself up with the best thinking you can find. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know if you have specifics about development. I mean, there's, you know, really developing TV shows is different than developing movies. Right. Um, most of our work, you know, there's different types of movie development. So there's the spec scripts, like a script that you would, um, create on your own for no pay and then go try to sell. And then there's assignments, whether those are somebody else's idea that they hire you to write or an existing script that you are hired to rewrite or... Mm -hmm maybe something else like a book, a movie, like a foreign movie, an indie movie, um, a documentary, something that exists, like some sort of IP that they want you to adapt. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the work that we do are assignments where we we almost never are pitching our own ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. Mostly because like at this point, there's not a lot of money for that, unless that's Mm -hmm. just your thing. Like, most places don't necessarily want you to come in with your own idea. I mean, if you have a great idea, sometimes they'll love it, but Mm -hmm. spec scripts are end up being samples of your writing. So you have to write those to prove that you can write and hopefully write something that is, gets enough attention. You know, it's sort of like trying to get Instagram followers. You need like an, some kind of buzz around what you're, um, and just to get people to notice, that's how you get agents. That's how you get jobs. But then you basically go into a lot of rooms and people say, here's the idea I want to have a movie about. Can you write this for me? And then you go think about that. You figure out how that story would look and you come back in and you pitch it to them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they hire you. Um, so most of the work that we've done is that way. So 
you know, that development is obviously quite a bit different because the idea is already vetted. Um, as opposed to if you're writing your own idea, you need to spend a lot of time thinking about not only is this something that you can write and write well, but like, does anybody care? Right. Because if you cares, you can write the best script in the world and it's going to sit and gather dust. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of considerations. So there's different, different types of development, I would say. Um, so I don't know if you have specific questions. Well, about- let's say someone's starting out and uh, they're just wanting to sort of step their foot into that world of uh, they want to write, they want to work as a writer. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe they have an idea that they want to pitch. Uh, what would be their first steps? Well, um, d- depending on what level they're starting out at, I would say that one of the things I've, I've seen, and this is my own opinion, and I've gotten into arguments with people about this, but I, I, I'm a fan of, of actually spending some time learning the craft. Um, there's luckily at this point, there's so many books, there's so many websites. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the tricky part is everyone can write. That's, that's a positive and a negative. You know, we, we've all, we all have a language that we have grown up speaking in and we all know how to construct sentences. We all have some sort of basic innate story sense. But the difference is if you want to write a, a poem or you want to write a book, you spent all of your school years reading books, reading poetry, perhaps even writing short stories, writing poems, doing things like that. But most of us have seen a lot of movies and go, I know what a movie is, but most of us don't spend time reading screenplays. Um, right, and right. there is a, a, you know, there are a lot of things that will make that process much easier for you. The more you understand screenplay structure, the more you understand, you have to understand formatting to a certain extent, um, just to understand what the rules are, to understand what's, what's going to turn off readers to understand like the use of language, for example, like in, in plays, everything is written to be, the ideas come out of the dialogue. There's not a lot of action in a play. Um, whereas if you're writing a screenplay, a lot of this, a lot of the information needs to come out visually at the same time, you can't describe every single, you know, thing that happens on screen. So you have to find really economical ways of doing that. Um, and a lot of that comes from practice and a lot of that can be shortcutted by spending some time reading some screenplays, um, downloading movie screenplays of your favorite movies, read the screenplay, watch the movie, understand like, you know, look for changes, understand, you know, how they're accomplishing certain things, like what they're conveying to, um, you know, to the, the filmmakers who are ultimately going to make that um, in the screenplay and how that plays on, a, on screen. And just sort of understanding like, what that is, I think is very important. And there's a lot of great books, um, just to understand structure in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's some great writers, you know, uh, uh, John August has a, a website where he talks about writing. Um, uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio has, have a great website called wordplay that they talk about. The writer's store has a website and a lot of those have articles about, you know, specific topics. So you can find things that like maybe an area that you're weak in. When my partner and I first started off, we were we were, for example, very weak at structure. People would talk about screenplay structure, and you understand three acts, but like, there's a lot more to it. And we didn't necessarily know what we were doing. We kind of bluffed our way through a lot of stuff. And you know, at one point, we decided, hey, we're going to focus in on this. We need to understand more about this. Um, and we spent a lot of time dealing with that. And now I, I have a really good grasp of structure, and that helps us a lot when we're developing something because we can shortcut how we're going to develop this story, understanding if it's going in the right direction, you know, understanding different types of structures for different types of genres, for different types of, you know, mediums. So there's a, there's just a lot of information mm-hmm. and it's like anything, if you want to get better at it, you know, there's a lot, luckily a lot of resources to do that. And the great thing about writing is it's the one job in entertainment that nobody has to give you permission to do. If you want to be an actor, someone's got to hire you to act. If you want to be a director, someone, you're going to need someone's money to go, make your movie. If you want to be an agent, you need some clients. If you want to be a writer, you can sit down right now and start writing. So it's up to you to be good at it. It's up to you to push yourself to get better. It's up to you to not be writing. A lot of people compare themselves to like, what's the, you know, there's a lot of really bad movies that get made and it's hard to understand how that happens. But like, luckily I've worked at an agency, I've worked for an actor, I've worked for a director, I've worked for a production company, I've worked on set, I've written movies that have gotten made. Um, so like I've seen a lot, like a lot of 
the pitfalls. And the problem is that a movie is a, you know, hundreds of people coming together, each trying to make the same movie. Mm-hmm. And if visions line up, then you can make a good movie. But if one vision doesn't line up, an actor comes in and gives a note on a character. I've seen lines that we wrote that we thought were funny get said with zero humor in them. And I've mm-hmm. seen lines that we thought were not funny be made hilarious by an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same reason that like you can still go watch a Shakespeare play now, you know, hundreds of years later and every single, you know, production company is going to do a different <laughs> version of it because yeah. there's so much flexibility in that. And um and so I think as a writer you have to shoot for like I want to be above average. I want to be doing the best work possible because everybody else is going to be trying to to inflict their own vision on that. And a lot of that will not be what necessarily you thought or some of it may not turn out the way that you had hoped. So um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a job that you don't need permission for. And, and it's a job that you can spend time honing and getting better at on your own if you're, you know, dedicated to that. Right. So, yeah. You can write and you can sin- submit it to a bunch of stuff. You can submit it to McSweeney's. You can submit it yes. to tons of places that, um, you know, and, and you wrote it, whether they accept it or not. Yes. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's also encouraging advice. You mentioned uh, that you worked for an actor. Can you say who that actor you worked for was? Yeah, I, I don't think he would mind. I, I worked for Zach Braff for about three years mm-hmm. as his personal assistant. Yeah. Um, How was yeah. that experience? I mean, it sounds like it was pretty illuminating on some of the things that you got to see. Um, it was a, it was a good experience. It was um, he was a, he was a really good boss. Uh, I was there for the last few seasons of Scrubs. Also, I got to watch him developing. A script that ultimately, um, you know, for for reasons that were not his own, um, didn't end up getting made. But um, I saw him take a script and, and do a, a rewrite of it that I thought he did an excellent job with. And so it was kind of fascinating to watch his process. But the best part of the job for me was that um, it was a full time job and it didn't require full time attention. Mm. So and he was cool with as long as I got the work done, then. I could use the other time to write. So I got to spend a lot of time getting paid for one thing, but actually getting to work on my writing. So um, the first couple of screenplays that my writing partner, Chris, and I wrote together, um, I was able to do while I was working for Zach. So that was very beneficial as like a, you know, job to help pay the bills while I'm yeah getting to where I want to be. Um, but it was cool. Like I had to go on some sets with him. He directed a couple of music videos and commercials while I was there. So I got to see some of that. I got to, I didn't spend very much time on the scrub set, but um, I got to go to Canada with him to film a movie for seven weeks, and that was cool. Like, you get an all-expenses-paid trip to Canada. And, yeah. Like, Which movie yeah. was that? Was that uh, Long Kiss, Good, uh, The Last Kiss, rather? No, that was. it was called The High Cost of Living. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, it, was a, it was a really great experience, I thought. Um, so, yeah, that was a fun, fun couple of years. Yeah. So, um Let's talk about a couple of these things that you have written. Um, I mean, I, it sounds like people can write a ton of things, but it's not all going to get made. Even if it gets optioned, it's not necessarily going to get made. Right. Um, the good thing is, if it was optioned, then you got a little money. Yeah. Um, we actually we only had one thing optioned, and that actually got made. Um, but like I said, most of the things we don't we do are not original. I I've, I've only written one original screenplay. Well, I guess we have two original screenplays we've written since we started writing professionally. Mm. Everything else has been assignments like jobs that people have hired us for. So we're getting paid for the full thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and does when that's the sort of process, cause what I've been more familiar with is someone pitching an idea and it getting optioned and then it may or may not get made when people are hired to uh, work on something like, like you're talking about, how often do those finished products end up not getting made? Most of the time. Okay, even that in that case, that can happen a lot. And for all kinds of reasons. Um, for example, we did one draft of a Masters of the Universe um, screenplay for Sony. Oh, wow. Um, so, like, that was a fun experience. Um, we've actually worked a lot with this company called Wonderland, um, who McGee, the director, is the owner of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was brought on to direct Masters of University. This, is, this had already been through at least five or six different sets of writers, different directors had been attached and fallen off for different reasons. And 
um, so McGee came on. They wanted to, to rewrite the script. He brought us in because um, we'd worked with him before. We rewrote the script. And, and the guys that wrote before us were like million-dollar writers. Like, and, and a few of the, a few of the scripts that we read from previous drafts were like fine. They were good. They were good enough to be movies. You're like, with the right director, this could be great. And they brought us in, and, and we did our, our version and thought that we did a great job. And we literally turned it in a week before the head of the studio left for another studio. Uh, and that killed the project. Cut to three months later, McGee's <laughs> not on the project. We're not on the project. David Goyer, I think, is now doing a draft to possibly direct, but he's he's writing it. And, you know, he's got much more name recognition than we, we do yeah, and yeah. a lot of cachet in this, this field. But, like, but who knows if that version gets made because they've been trying to make this movie for 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, I, and I only say that to say that I think we did a good job but we were sandwiched in between much <laughs> more famous writers who have had a lot more things made and their versions didn't get made either. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets paid and then you move on to your next thing. So it's kind of tough. Like we've, we've had certain things that we thought were locks to be made. We, we wrote something for Warner Brothers, which was an adaptation of a German film mm-hmm. and the studio seemed to really like it. They brought on Bradley Cooper to produce and star and direct in it. And then he brought in his own writers. We yeah. weren't on the And, you know, that was six years ago, and they still haven't made that movie. And you go, he was, at the time, like, one of the hottest actors. He definitely still is, like, a really hot actor, but, like, was trying to do his first directing job. And, like, you know, there was a lot of heat behind that. And, yeah. you know, it, it just goes away. So I think we've probably had 10 to 12 professional jobs, and only two things have gotten made so far. Mm-hmm. The nice part is... A lot of those movies are still, we still have producers who have mm-hmm. paid us and have drafts and are still trying to make some of those movies. So um, they still could come out of, you know, nowhere and become movies. But <laughs> yeah, um, but it's, yeah, there's just so many things. There's so many decisions involved. It's about finding the right actor, finding the right director, getting the budget right. And you, you see this stuff fall apart in the, you know, in the trades all the time. Like, yeah, they everybody you know like a-list stars and huge directors and then the next thing you know like they can't agree on the budget and <laughs> it almost doesn't make any sense from the outside it's like you had everything you needed but <laughs> how did you not know that that needed to happen <laughs> yeah but it's, yeah. it's interesting. And, and like the, the, the crazy thing is once you're on a movie it's almost like you're on a moving train and sometimes you're trying to build the tracks in front of it while the train's moving and mm-hmm. uh that's sometimes why movies you know either fall apart or don't turn out very good. Even I've seen great scripts become awful movies and I've seen scripts that I felt were very underwhelming turn into some of my favorite movies. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating art that like yeah. nobody's really in control of. Um, yeah. I've heard George Clooney talk about how so many things can go wrong uh, in a, in the making of a movie, like the script can be great. It could be the right actors. It could be the right director, but you know, you can get on set and it just doesn't come together for whatever reason. Or in the editing, it just doesn't come together somehow. And yeah. uh, But, of course, there are also those times where on the set they do make things better. But I've heard for a long time that Almost Famous, the uh, movie with Matthew Perry and Chris Farley that Christopher Guest directed, was, uh, for one, the script might have been one of the most popular scripts like maybe even a blacklisted script for a long time uh before they made it and then there was like word on the street that what was happening in the film that they were that when they were making it was hilarious and of course yeah. like it's just the, what ended up after the cut was just like an okay movie yeah well and it's every single factor i mean it's like we've had to change scenes for, for page count, They're like, oh, we don't have enough time to shoot this long, a five-page scene. This needs to be a four-page scene. Mm. We've had to change scenes because we can't afford an escalator in our budget, so a scene that's based around an escalator now needs to be in a thrift store. Um, <laughs> that's, that's an actual note we got and had to change it. And like, Oh, wow. But, like, but you, you don't think that things like that add up, but you know, we got a bigger actor for this part. You need to make this part a bigger part. Mm-hmm. But then that doesn't really work with the structure and, and the story that you were telling. And now you're now you're you're trying to include something that's not supposed to be part of the best version of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's all those 
you know, it's like death by a thousand cuts basically it can happen. But when you, th- when it, when you hear cast list, it's like, Oh, this was a Leonardo DiCaprio movie and he fell off. And now Denzel Washington's lead. And you're like, those guys aren't even the same age, <laughs> completely different temperaments. They have completely different personalities. And like, how could they have made the same movie with both of them? You know, like it's a lot. And, and sometimes it happens for the better and sometimes it happens for the worse. So it's, it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember what movie it was. It may have been the Johnny Depp version of uh, Willy Wonka. And uh, they apparently had like every big name actor on a list as potential. Like, I think Will Smith was on the list and Brad Pitt. If it wasn't that movie, uh, it was some big tentpole kind of movie that they want to do big so instead of saying who's right for the part they're saying who's going to put butts in seats and so it's just any actor no matter how different they were from one another yeah that's <laughs> so a lot of it and, and those those types of things are out of your hands especially as the writer right you just um you just make do with what you can and hope that at some point everything kind of comes together um and you, you realize how much luck is involved in really great movies and I think that's also why, like, for me personally, a lot of my favorite movies are writer-directors mm-hmm. um, for the sole reason that, like, the same vision that wrote the script is the vision that's directing it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, every single person who has creative control over the vision is some one other person to get in line on something. So, mm-hmm. like, those actors, they're going to have a way that they see their character. They're going to have a way they see the overall story. And if they don't see it the same way as the director, then you get butting heads on set. You know, if the writer and the director, if the writer wrote this to be, you know, a really intense emotional scene and the director's like playing it for comedy, it's going to come out strange. And mm-hmm. to say that one of them is right or one of them's not, but like it's about really lining up the vision for what you're doing. Right. And, I mean, we have seen that with this Han Solo movie that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the original directors, they got really long into the process of making that film and they got fired and it was just because the direction they were going wasn't quite what the producers wanted. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It just, it can, we've seen it enough, you know, like it's, it's, it's made the trades as as you mentioned earlier. Uh, When you're sort of hired to work on a script and it, who knows what's going to happen and then it ends up happening um, but it wasn't your baby cause it wasn't your idea necessarily. And maybe it is your baby, uh, when you're it's your baby, it, it, uh, it still is your baby. Well, you know, you get attached to things. I think, um, you know, if you're, if you're at all good at your job, like you end up like really kind of just falling, like, like I said, you want to be writing stuff that you're passionate about. Right. And we try to pitch on jobs that we feel like we can we can execute. And some of them, like, like sometimes, um, we had a job recently where we got sent one page of here's the idea. And I, I read it and I was like, I don't see this movie. And my writing partner was like, I think, I think this is a, is a cool idea. I was like, well, I don't see it. And I basically <laughs> made him sell it to me. Like not, not in that moment, but like, I was like, it's like, I'm going to think about other things right now. I'm going to try to pursue other jobs. If you come up with an angle for this that I can get behind, then we'll go pitch on it. If not, we'll let it go. And we were going to let it go. And then he ended up convincing me that like, Hey, this could be a really cool movie. And we did it. And it's, um, like, we're really proud of the script we turned in, you know, but it just becomes something that you start to find things that you're excited about. Like you come up with good lines, you come up with interesting characters, the situations become real. And like, you've oftentimes spent, you know, months working on it. I mean, in, in some cases, years, uh, and not like that you're working on it every day for years, but like you'll do a draft and then six months later you do a rewrite and then, you know, and then it dies for a while, but then an actor gets interested. And then, you know, so, so a lot of times you've just really spent a lot of your time and energy thinking about this and more so than anybody else, like even a director, they usually come on much later in the process. You might've been working on a script for two years and they come in and three months later they're shooting the movie. Like, you know, that, that's uh it's just a different, a different perspective on things. So it's, I think you you do tend to get attached to a lot of things and and in different ways. Like there's some scripts that that I'm really, really proud of. And there's some scripts where I'm like, I think we did the best job we could with that. I think we made the best version of that idea, but it's not my favorite thing or it's not necessarily, you know, what what I would have done if we had free reign. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but you do tend to get attached to a lot of things, you know, just because you've, you've put so much of your, your time and energy connecting with that project. So, yeah. Well, what I was wondering is if it isn't well received, if, because it wasn't your baby necessarily, if it's any easier to stomach the, the reviews or something. Um, well, yes. And no, it's sort of a mental, it's sort of a mental trick. I think that you do with yourself. I mean, the thing is there isn't a single movie that every single buddy's going to love. And there isn't a single movie that every single person's going to hate. That's true. And you can surprise yourself with that. But, um, I, I try to be objective and I try to listen to criticism of things that we've done. And, and this is something that anybody in any field I think can take, like whether you're a comedian, like, you know, when I used to write that column for the newspaper in college, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you create things and put it out into the world, like people are going to react to it. And, um, I think as a writer, all you really have to, to help you become better is your own taste. What you're doing is you're presenting your version of something to the world and you do it to the best version of your own taste. And I think, you know, the, the feedback is a good part of helping you cultivate that. So I, I can often make excuses if I know that, that something was not my decision and it happens and then it turns out bad, then I can be like, well, that wasn't my decision. But you also have to accept that there are certain things that turned out way better than you planned for them to through no fault, like, you know, not because of something you did. Um, (laughs) Like somebody saved something or somebody has an idea that you didn't have or an actor brings some sort of charm to a role that that like was a throwaway role, whatever that is. And you if you're going to not take the blame for the bad parts that you do feel like aren't your fault, you can't really take credit Mm -hmm. for the parts. So. It's sort of a, a thing. You just realize it's something you were involved with um, and that, you know, and that you you just have to do your best and then hopefully realize that there's always something to learn to take to your next project to, you know, help you do it better the next time. Like we learned stuff on the first movie that we had shot that we took directly to the next project. And when that same issue came up, we said last time <laughs> the thing and then they still didn't listen to us and then eventually had to do reshoots to fix the thing that we said they uh, needed. Yeah. But, you know, you can only do your best, <laughs> I think. And sometimes yeah. it isn't going to turn out well. Um, but you have to, like, realize, like, some, some of your jokes are going to bomb, you know? Mm-hmm. And why did it bomb? And how can you not bomb next time? Or bomb, right. you know, with, like, bomb less often, I guess. Right. Um, I'm so wondering, I mean, it sounds a lot like the process, especially, you know, when you're doing a new draft of a script that's already gone through a few drafts, it almost sounds like improv. Like you're taking this idea and you're trying to heighten it to being the best version it can be. Yes. And, and I think the other thing to learn, cause and I'll say this, like getting notes is the worst thing that can happen to someone creative. Like someone's telling you that like, Hey, I, I think this can be better. But the benefit of that is, Every single project we've ever worked on has gotten better through notes. That doesn't mean you take every single note you get and just do them blindly, but but really thinking about what does this note mean? Is this something I should consider? Sometimes, and you can read this in any screenplay book, but like sometimes the note isn't the note. Like it's they have a problem, they don't feel like this scene is working, but maybe it's because you didn't set it up correctly in a previous scene. You know, it's like, oh, this guy pulled a gun out of nowhere. Like that's really bothering me. This doesn't, you know, I call bullshit on this. Whereas like, but then later you just set up him picking up that gun, you know, 20 minutes ago in the movie. And like now, now there's like tension involved and like that same scene can be, oh, that was a great scene because like, I kept wondering what, when was that gun going to come back or or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's like, uh, you, I think you just have to realize with notes that once you get past the initial and it's hard not to take them personally at first and then just take a second to curse out whoever gave you the notes to yourself digest it. And if you have a writing partner, you guys can go vent about it for a minute, but then really think about it. And how can this be better? Cause one of the things I've started to realize too, is it's not about necessarily making the best version of the project. Mm-hmm. But when I talk about visions, like the writer has a vision for the product and sometimes your vision is great, but the, the truth is it's like making a, it's like cooking. I would say is the best analogy. Um, there's, you know, 20 different ways to make spaghetti, like through seasoning, like you're going to have your grandmother's spaghetti. It's going to be different than spaghetti you get at the restaurant down the street. Maybe not the same best, as good as the best spaghetti you ever had when you were 14 at your friend's house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, 
there's different ways to do it. And a lot of notes and a lot of like revisions is seasoning to taste. Mm-hmm. At some point you go, hey, here's the vision I had and here's the best version of that vision. And then somebody else comes in and says, you know what? I see it slightly different and I'm more important than you and you have to listen to me. That happens. That's the studio, that's the director, that's actors, you know, that's producers. And sometimes that's just a friend of yours saying, hey, I, I think I know what you're going for. I think this could make it better. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a different vision or whether it's a, a, a better way to achieve your vision. And you realize like it's, it's seasoning to taste. It's mm-hmm. going, okay, I did a great version and then you let that go and you go, how can I take these notes and incorporate that into a new unified vision for this. And as long as you can keep recalibrating and doing that, you can continue to turn out scripts where like, we've had scripts where like, this is the best script we've ever written. And then we get notes on it and we make it better and it's different. And we go, some of these changes are better, some of them aren't, but this is still, sometimes we go, this is better than the last version, Mm -hmm. even though we the last version. And it's just realizing that things can always be different and still good. You know, Jerry Seinfeld can make a joke about you know, drinking coffee mm-hmm. and you know, somebody else can make that exact, you can make that exact, like a, that exact same joke or a different observation about the same thing. And it's still funny. It's still a funny coffee joke. And, you know, mm-hmm. you would do it in your style and whatever, but, um, it doesn't take away that they can both be great jokes about the same subject. Right. So that like you can tell the same story from multiple perspectives with multiple in mo- multiple styles or tones or, you know, just highlighting different aspects of the story and still make different versions that are each great. So you can always sort of understand that and realize like, I just got to find what, how to unify these notes that I need to do into a vision that makes sense and is still telling a really good story. Yeah. That's, that's all really neat. Now, the couple of things that you've worked on that uh, did get released, they both happen to be movies with, Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. How did that? I mean, you're saying it sounds like it's almost a crapshoot, you know, like what ends up getting made that you work on. So how yeah. did it just so happen that these two movies? <laughs> well, it didn't just happen. Um, we we wrote we wrote a script that got on the blacklist that we were finalists at the the nickel competition, which is this, the Academy Awards have the, the the Academy has their has a screenplay competition for amateur. Um, writers and I would recommend anybody enter it because it's great feedback. Like people read your script and you get you get some feedback, or at least you get to see how far you got. And we entered it a couple of times before on previous scripts and gotten to like the semifinals or the quarterfinals, whatever. And and one year we became finalists, and that same script ended up on the blacklist and got us and a lot just of. Just so people know, the blacklist is a list of very popular scripts that people feel like they can't produce. It's it's um. I, I, I want to do justice to it. I actually have met Franklin Leonard, the, the guy that founded it. He's a he's a really great guy, and he's um, it, he was an executive and decided to compile a list of scripts that were the most liked scripts within like the the people that know, like so executives, agents, people like that, because I think he saw a lot of scripts that were maybe really good scripts that weren't necessarily going to get made. So they couldn't have been produced yet. Um, but just anything that for whatever year, for whatever reason that year was these people's favorite scripts. And then he would just tally up the votes. And then the ones that got voted on the most would be in the blacklist. So it's not the best scripts. It's not, you know, the most interesting scripts. It's not the just scripts that can never get produced. It's just scripts that, the people that he polled liked. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> interesting. So um, it's, it's a nice way because a lot of them tend to be scripts that have something interesting or different about them. And so a lot of times they, a lot of those scripts do become movies later. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so we ended up on, on that and that script got optioned. That was the, the thing that we got our managers and agents off of because um, it went around town and everybody read it. Um, mm-hmm. And it shouldn't have ever probably been a movie. It wasn't really written to be made into a movie. It was really written to be, we actually wrote it just for fun. We <laughs> <laughs> ourselves and I gave it to somebody for notes and that person really liked it and then sent that draft around. So it was actually a rough draft that went around and got assigned. But, oh, wow. um, but it was, we wrote it for fun and not, and we were actually really serious about a different script we were writing at the time. So this was like our letting off steam script. 
Um, but then eventually um, Wonderland optioned it and made it, and Chris Evans came aboard to star. Um, and then... And that she, was Before We Go? That was... Uh, it was... It came out called Pl- Playing It Cool was the oh, title. Okay. The script was a many splintered thing when it went around. And um, and yeah, that one went through a lot of transformations. It, it, the, the movie that came out was not the movie that we tried to write. But um, but it still probably should have never been made into a movie. It wasn't really written in following all the rules that we should have followed. But we wrote it for <laughs> um, But that being said, uh, we had a great time with Chris. He's... He's awesome. He's really smart, really thoughtful, brought a lot to the character, um, really involved. And, you know, he was kind of caught up in all the Marvel stuff. And the next time he had a break, he had had been wanting to direct and had a script that he wanted to direct but needed work. And he was like, I have a window of two months. (laughs) If I want to shoot this movie, then can you rewrite this and then us go shoot it? So we basically had a month to rewrite this script and then shoot it. So that was, that was a really fun, but crazy experience. Um, because we really didn't have enough time to really kind of plan everything out and feel like it was, everything was happening on the fly. It was, it was, um, <laughs> it was a good experience, but, um, but yeah, so because we'd worked with him before he brought us back on that and we've, and we'd love to work with him again. And he's, we've, we've talked about a few other projects with him, but he's, he's very, you know, busy. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you can get in on the Marvel universe. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> twice. Uh, so that's, that's close. Yeah. Hey, that he's, uh, yeah, he's still developing things and making, uh, coming up with new ideas and stuff. So we got to write a screenplay for him and we have another one that's, we may write for him, but sort of pending some. Oh, very cool world politics issues right now <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. no i get it there is a movie that uh made the trades recently that uh you and your partner were optioned for can you talk about that so the shell silverstein biopic yes um yeah that's it's actually um we got an the announcements recently because you know some of the pieces came into play and there's like financing behind it and stuff but um it's yeah it was uh it's something we've been working on for years um wonderland had options uh, the company Wonderland had optioned this book. Um, that was, uh, the only biography of shell that his family estate had sanctioned. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of a sprawling, just, you know, he lived a crazy life. Um, really amazing guy. Uh, um, and so they wanted to tell the story of his life and we'd worked with the company a couple of times. So they brought us on and we, um, you know, came up with our version of the story and then, wrote it a, f- a couple years ago and then it's been, we've been trying to get it made since then. So it's been through some various incarnations, but we finally have some financing and, um, you know, have some, some actor and director, um, interest and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's hopefully our next thing that gets made. Yeah. Now there's also something, uh, on your IMDB page. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool to have an IMDB page. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you have uh, something that you wrote that's in pre-production. Is it Naruto? Yeah, um, Is that yeah, how that's you uh, it? yeah Naruto. It's no. uh, it's really popular uh, manga. It's um, something that Lionsgate had. Michael Gracie, who directed The Greatest Showman, um, is attached to direct it, and we wrote the first draft. Um, so it is since being rewritten by other people. Uh, but yeah, that was um. That, w- that was one that was definitely another one that we kind of really fell in love with. Um, we weren't super familiar with the property before it was brought to our attention, but like now we're huge fans and like, you know, there's probably 500 episodes of the, the animated show. Um, there's all kind. it's a really rich world. There's tons of the manga. And so we really kind of got immersed in that and got to read a lot of that stuff. There's like seven or eight animated movies too. Um, but it's a really, it's kind of like Harry Potter Mm-hmm. Um, but for ninjas, yeah, so yeah. It's, about, it's it's sort of a not a similar story, but like you know that kind of immersive world. But instead of being wizards, they're ninjas, and uh, but like magical ninjas. Um, and it's it's just a, yeah, a really rich kind of awesome product. So we're hoping it it gets made and that we still get credit on it. Um, <laughs> only a certain number of writers can get credit based on the writers' guild. So you know they've since brought bigger writers on. So I don't know if our involvement will stay 
uh, noted on IMDb. But, but yeah, that was project. When scripts get rewritten, um, I mean, and obviously I've heard different things about this, but I mean, is anything from some of those early scripts really there? Uh, I mean, honestly, it depends. Like, because uh, I've heard someone say that, uh, like, one joke from their script is in the final product. Yeah, it it, it really depends. I mean, um, it depends on the product. Every project's different. Like we, the, like so. For example, before we go was a script called One Thirty Train. Mm-hmm. that we rewrote it was not we didn't write the original draft and we were brought on to rewrite it and, mm-hmm. and we tried to keep all the stuff that that we thought worked and that was interesting um there are writers i'm sure that try to eliminate as much as possible from the previous person because a lot of your compensation is tied into credit mm-hmm. but also i think most writers have enough integrity to go we want to do the best project possible as um as possible so uh you know, we always try to like only change stuff if it's necessary. Um, you know, not just to like screw with the other writer. Um, right. But um, so so it it really just depends. The the thing about um, credit for a movie is that all depends on the writers guild has they do they actually look at the drafts and they have final say. The producers don't. The studios don't. Um, so it's it's fellow writers. It's your peers who decide who's contributed the most. But Generally, the first writer in on a project has priority. So, you know, they look at percentages of how much of it gets changed as, and that decides who gets credit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're the first writer and 80% of the script got changed, then you're probably not going to get credit on it. But if only like 50% of the script got changed, now how do you decide percentage-wise in a 120-page script, you know, whatever? It's hard to say. I think they look at fundamental, like, themes and ideas and characters stuff because you could change a character name and then are you saying that everything that character does is new mm-hmm. you know it's say um but yeah it really just depends like sometimes people are only brought on to to do like to write a couple of jokes or change a few lines um and sometimes like somebody comes in and has just a different vision and goes here's what i want to do with it and most of what the previous draft had just doesn't fall in line with that um mm-hmm. i think it's you know, sometimes it's necessary to keep changing writers and bring in new people and and keep changing something till it works. I think sometimes it's unfortunate because I think a lot of a lot of times I've seen really good scripts, like even stuff that we've been brought in to write. Where I'm like, this seems like it's seventy to eighty percent there, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense that they would want to like change horses. <laughs> you yeah. know, like if it, it feels like if if the producers in the studio know what they want and the director, they should be able to like work with someone who, who really knows the story inside and out. Um, but you know, those decisions are ultimately not up to me. So I've, you know, you know, if the job's open, then we, then we go in for it. But, um, right. and we've been rewritten on things that I feel like, you know, we probably sh- should have been allowed to stay on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but ultimately writers don't have any, at least in, in film and TV, they have a little more power. We don't have, too much power and, mm. and do you want to work in tv um i would like to i have we've sold um we sold the pilot to cbs mm-hmm. i guess six years ago and that was a really fun experience it didn't get made but um i remember just, reading about it yeah you get paid for it and it's a tv is awesome in in one sense because if you if you sell something on a pitch to t in tv then like you get paid for it and there's a cutoff date where it's like you know they let you know. They give you a phone call. And they're like, you know what? We're we're not going to move forward with this. And then they pay you out, and that's it. Whereas like film, it's like we've had movies we've been working on for six years, and like they constantly keep getting our hopes up, and you're you're like never sure. Like, are we gonna? Is this gonna happen? Should I? <laughs> Should I start? You start thinking about it again, and then like it falls apart again, and it, mm. it just it's kind of breaking your heart over and over again. Right. Um, TV, it's like you know, it's it's great if it goes, and and there's um. There's a lot of opportunity, and most of the jobs now, I think, are in TV. But you know, it's um, it's nice to kind of have the, the the finality of yes or no, um, which you don't really get. Oh, and yeah. um, but but yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of over the past ten years, especially like you know, most of the best, not most of, but maybe most of the best um, writing is happening in TV. Like when you think about all the, the there's Black Mirror. Yeah, there's shows for everybody. It doesn't matter what you 
what you like. Like there's there's excellent shows that that you can become a super fan of, um, like across genres, and it's it's almost impossible to keep up with everything that's going on. And I think a lot of like movies now are either really small indies or really big blockbusters, and all of the middle ground, all of those movies have become TV shows, like. Mm-hmm where they're really character-based and you're following kind of more interesting stories and kind of really just falling in love with, you know, just characters you want to spend time with. That's why I think there's not a lot of rom-coms now and there's not a lot of, you know, these like, you know, $20 million comedies because all of those writers are like, and, and there's no dramas anymore either. It's like, yeah, there are very fuck. few. I mean, there's like the post was a big, you know, I guess, but like Spielberg movie. So like he can get things made, but like, right. you're not going to find, you know, the average person making that kind of... I've you know. I've been sort of amazed that everything does seem to have this bend towards action and thriller and superhero. I mean, I understand it because... And sci-fi as well, but I understand because that's what people are plunking on their money down to see. But yeah. it is... I was thinking a couple weeks ago, we haven't had a really strong romantic comedy in a long time. Yeah. And, I mean, the, um, and then you're right. There haven't been a lot of great dramas. There's not a bunch of dramas. And even the the small budget straight to DVD movies are still like action thrillers that you you really probably should have more money than they are using to make the movies. Yeah. But, you know, it's like how expensive could it possibly be to put Cuba Gooding Jr. in a <laughs> drama? Well, I think it's tough because, like, you know, with dramas like... It's it's not as easy to sell that in a in a trailer, I yeah. think. But but like if you like dramas, like watch TV, get HBO, get you know whatever. Like you know, Game of Thrones is a drama. It's mm-hmm. you know it's the fantasy elements. Like obviously there's the action elements, but like you know Outlander. Like you know you start looking at some of these shows. Like you know Stranger Things is like a sci-fi thriller, but like like all of the the things that you'd want out of a drama, you're gonna find in TV. Like like. I love the crown, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it's just, that's just quality storytelling and like, but nobody's going to make a period movie like that because then you've got to market it. You got to spend millions of dollars to market it. And the, the sets and the costumes are going to cost so much money. And then you have a one off, you're not gonna make a sequel off of that. So there's no franchise really. Um, whereas on TV, it's like, you can get this huge budget for the whole season. They're getting many more hours of content, you know, with the same costumes and sets and characters and whatever. And, you know, they can get people subscribing to their, their channel or, you know, coming back to, to watch and, you know, watch the commercials or whatever if it's on, on television. So I just think there's a lot more opportunity for that type of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, with movies, it's like they just go, what can we sell really easily? It's like thriller, you know exactly what you're going to get. Like horror, you know exactly what you're going to get. You know, blockbuster action, you know exactly what you're going to get. But like these dramas, it's like now you got to convince someone that this is an experience you want to have. Like, right. And if it's not based on a book, like nobody's heard about it, so you got to market it. It's just. It's a good point. I mean, you think about it um, with comedy, you're trying to get people to laugh. With action movies and thrillers, you're trying to get that excitement and suspense that comes with it. But drama, what are you trying to get out of people? You know, some something very internal, (laughs) usually some something like that. spend you know fifteen dollars for a ticket and twenty bucks on concessions plus their friends and family that they're bringing for that experience or are they just gonna like turn on netflix and watch and get 10 hours of it straight and control when they watch it when they don't like it's just yeah i think it's a little bit easier you know to get people to like watch that stuff at home that's true but I, i am just surprised how many times i've seen something that wasn't in theaters uh, that's a thriller that looks like it was cheaply made. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, well, people are just—you're still sell. They're they're selling the people who are going to be sitting at home. <laughs> you know, like it's just in yeah. the five dollar rack <laughs> at the grocery store. Um, I don't know. I I would like to see Cuba Gooding Jr. in a drama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that when he's not playing OJ. I don't. <laughs> I saw like a few things where he had like. The cover was just him with a gun in his hand. It was like, all right, guys. <laughs> um, 
we've gotten to the end of the episode here, and uh, I have a couple of ideas of maybe what we can create, and I'll let you choose whichever you think sounds the easiest to do quickly. Uh, maybe it's uh, coming up with an idea for something. If someone wants to come up with something to write about, what sort of step they could take to do that, or maybe the steps someone who uh, wants to pitch an idea, like what are what are the things they need to think about if they're about to go into, they, they get the meeting to pitch somebody, but they need to know how to do it. Which of those two options would you want to try to create with? Um, maybe the first one. Okay. Yeah. So um, we have, uh, did you, well, you would, you were saying earlier that it's good to write from something that you want to know about. So if someone's saying like, yeah, I want to write something. I don't know what to write about though. Uh, what advice would you give them? Well, um, the, 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 the thing is there's stories everywhere. So I think, I think the number one is I, I would say be very organized. Like I'm always, and, and especially now with smartphones and, computers and email, like I'm always sending myself ideas. I have a, I have a list that has at least 500 ideas on it. And you know, 460 of those ideas are bad ideas <laughs> and another 30 of them, I will never have the time to write. Um, but I can constantly kind of keep track of that stuff. And I, if they're organized by genre and they're organized in order of what I like the most in that genre. So I think it's, it's important to kind of just Whenever you have an idea, whether it's just for a character or a scene or a whole story, um, keep track of it. And then also think about what movies you like. What kind of movie would you want to write? So, for example, you could say, oh, I I love Braveheart. I want to do a Braveheart thing. Well, okay, great. So now go research different um, historical major world events. So so Braveheart is an an epic. Mm -hmm. And that means it's about about nation building. It's about um, the a major turning point in the history of a nation. And this was about Scotland getting their freedom. So like, like find those, those stories, like, and you can find them in any culture. You can find them at any point in our history, whether you want to do something modern, something set in the future, something set in, you know, some point in the past, it can have fantasy elements like game of Thrones is basically like a Braveheart type story with some fantasy elements. Um, when you think of like just a bunch of people running around with swords and horses and stuff, you know, or, Gladiator is another example of like, you know, this sort of nation building, whatever. So, so find that, that, um, sort of the the type of story you want to tell. And then you can start looking into research. Like I want to tell about a story about a great female character. And like, there's so many women that have never had their stories told before. So like, go do some research, like read the types of things that you're interested in and look for what the stories are there. Like whether if you're reading you know, you get a subscription to Scientific American and there's some interesting thing about, you know, this weird radioactive signal that's coming from some pulsar far away. Like, what does that make you think of? Is there an interesting story there? So there's a lot of different ways to kind of like mine story ideas, but I think it's staying sort of attuned to the world around you, but also seeking out the types of things that you want to do. Um, so I don't know if any of that is actually that's what great. you're asking. But, no, um, that's exactly, yeah. That's exactly what I'm asking for because it's... Um, it could be hard to know what you should do sometimes, you know, when you're it's go with what you're interested in is a good idea. But writing down your ideas and organizing them, I think, is a really good point to because uh, I have something where I have uh, my ideas written out and I have them in my notes on my phone. And that can kind of be a tough way to do it. But yeah. you just try to have to, you know, I always try to write joke colon and then I write the joke out. So at least when I'm scrolling through, I know it's a joke. Um, yeah. but you know, like in, uh, if you, if you have a booklet, you can separate things uh, a little bit. That's 500 ideas to write out. I mean, that's like, uh, what I think Larry David has this huge notebook of just different gags and bits and jokes and ideas. And he would just go to that when he needed ideas for Seinfeld or Kirby enthusiasm. Yeah. I think that's, that's what I try to do. I actually have different, do- I have a document for jokes, I have a document for character ideas, I have a document for scene ideas, and I have a document for basically story ideas, which is the one I was talking about that's organized by genre. Mm-hmm. But it's good because you go, because sometimes you're like, ah, like we've had to go in and do like round tables, which is mm-hmm. they have a script that's fully done, they want to go shoot this movie, but they won't, they bring in like four or five writers to punch it up with jokes and stuff. 
And I can just look through past jokes that I've emailed myself and say, okay, like, do any of these work, whatever. Like, if you need to do something on the fly, like, and usually a lot, a lot of stuff will never land in the, the thing because it all needs to be specific to the project. But, like, right. it's, it's, it's a great shorthanded way for you to, like, get, you know, ideas that you've already had rather than them just going, oh, I had a great idea for something. And then just it floats away and then you never think about it again. Like, because you start to realize, like, this idea will combine with this idea. And now you've got a more complex idea that's more original. Um, there's been so many times where I just realized, oh, these these two stories that I'm interested in are actually the same story. And now it's a really much more fascinating, you know, story than either one of them were on their own. Mm-hmm. So is it do you find it sort of cumbersome or is there a way to avoid it being cumbersome to go through all of your old notes and emails? Well, that's why I put them in a document. Um mm-hmm. So I email myself and then every couple of weeks I clean out my inbox of like I put, I use Gmail. So I use the little labels mm. on the thing. So I label them by, if it's a project that we're actually like working on, like an official project, something got hired on, then those each have their own label, but anything else, I just have a general writing label. And I just, and then I take, like I said, I take it out. If it's a joke, I put it in my joke document. Um, and if it's a, like a story idea, I'll go, okay, what genre is this? And then I'll write a little, I'll, copy the whole email. And, and if, if I need to like write it out as in a, in a more clear way, I'll do that. And then I'll put like a little name, whether I have a name for the project or at least like a, a sense of what it is. And then I go to that genre in my document, mm-hmm. you know, I have page breaks. So each, each genre has its own like section. And then I go, is this better or worse than some of these other ideas? And I find sort of the general place of where I put it. So then when I'm looking for new ideas, I usually can start at the top of each genre. And after three or four, you start to get into the the trash and you realize if you're in the mood, you can kind of look through them. But if not, like, you know exactly where to go to look for, Oh, like somebody tells me that I, I want to do a thriller. I go, okay, I'll pull my document and go, do I have any thriller ideas? And the best ones are already at the top. At least the ones that are my favorite ideas are already at the top. So then I go, okay, well, here's the three ideas. And it's, it's just so much better than trying to come up with thriller ideas. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like you've already done that work, like just organize it. Like it takes, a little more time, but like it pays off so much in the long run because that's yeah. Yeah. That's such a good advice. (laughs) There it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Paul. This was great. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, best of luck with New York and comedy and look forward to seeing you do some big things. Yeah. Likewise, buddy. Hopefully one day I'll, uh, get cast in a movie you wrote. (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it would. I, oh, I, I've wanted to work with you since college when you didn't cast me in uh, a play. <laughs> There's always time. Life is um, Yeah, hopefully one day I'll have the power to actually uh, say who gets to go in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good times with Paul. I hope you enjoyed that chat. It was really good to talk to him again. But he also gave a lot of really good advice, I think, and, and some really great insight on the industry so hopefully that'll give you some ideas on how you can approach getting work in the industry either as a screenwriter or some other capacity well that's today's episode and don't forget you can always follow us on social media on facebook and twitter at there it is pod and i'm on twitter at jason far jokes and you can also follow me on instagram at jason far picks don't forget you can go to there it is pod.com and read up on old episodes until next time folks be good to each other the music for the theme song was created by neil brooks the rap was written and performed by nick acevedo the logo for there it is was created by jeff prater the there it is podcast is produced by jason far <laughs>